0: i <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It is week 285. And before we start the show, I want to let you know that the 80s tear and a track uh, first episode put was up. So I, I'd really appreciate if you went over there and left some feedback, some questions, you know, made a suggestion for a song for Nightmare on Elm Street from the 80s that you feel would make a you know a good comparison, a good, you know, uh, partner with it. Just please go over there and show some support on the new show. And uh, of course, I'll have a couple more of those coming up. And I'll have a couple more 1980s year and horror 1980s coming up. But uh, yeah, let's hop into the 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 reviews and the first one up is from scream team releasing and this is the last thanksgiving now i believe this movie came out a couple years back um i can't 100% remember maybe it was last year or something like that and i was kind of interested in it i finally got around to checking it out now there's not too many um thanksgiving uh, themed horror films you have of course thanks killing you have home sweet home you have blood rage and then you have the, the fake trailer from grindhouse don't which everybody wanted to see made into a movie by Eli Roth, of course. So the likes "Last Thanksgiving," if it's like a tongue twister for me, so I figured I'd check it out. You know, just getting into ready for Thanksgiving next month and everything like that. So it's a good time for this to get another release. Yeah, um, this is a low budget slasher film, which you know they can go either way. It's really hard, I feel, to capture that like kind of essence that slasher films used to have. Rarely, I think, it does, but usually they're from different countries. Like the um, the Last Matinee had. Kind of that flair, but I also have the Giallo flair and stuff like that. Oh, or the ones that are very self-aware, and you know that after Scream, they all were. So, like I said, uh, this has a synth Score to match the '80s. The Sin Score is probably one of the more powerful things. It is a low-budget affair, so um, at times, you know, there's some sound issues. Just uh, and I do feel like they can f- affect a little bit the um, the quality of the performances, just slight, you know, just because it's hard to hear the audio and everything like that. So basically, the story here is we follow. This girl who has to work on Thanksgiving She doesn't get along with her parents She's working at this kind of diner Which is absolutely insane to work at a diner After like noon on uh, Thanksgiving So there's a, a, a mixture of characters or One of her friends that works to register up front A bartender um, The owner, the owner's father Who's in a wheelchair Kind of a you know, smart ass kind of guy And a couple of cooks A couple of older uh, cooks in there and That's kind of like your, your group of characters At the same time there's a, a family of maniacs Who are going around killing people People that don't, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving properly. But if they're going around killing people, are they celebrating it properly either? Who knows? That's up for them to decide. So uh, essentially it's like a, a group of like, I think there's four of them, and uh, they're going around picking people off. One is kind of in the style of a leather face, He wears a mask. He doesn't like it being taken off. And at times this reminded me kind of like the 1980 uh, Mother's Day and kind of like a Texas Chainsaw riff in a lot of ways. But it's, it's a slasher. So they end up attacking this diner and picking off a lot of the characters and a lot of the characters have to fight back and survive like I said the synth score is strong Um, it's decent I enjoyed it Um, the gore is is solid as well Um, the acting is a little patchy here and there the dialogue is a little patchy here and there the plot is kind of straight through straightforward. nothing amazing nothing horrible all in all it's just it's kind of very average average low budget slasher film Um, I appreciate that it takes place on Thanksgiving Um, I appreciate some of the kills they're decent and uh, a group of killers is always fun a family of killers that kind of adds an element you know uh, adds a leather face kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the family that slays together, stays together kind of deal. So all in all, I feel like The Last Thanksgiving is a decent little movie. It's not perfect. There's some, like I said, patchy dialogue and patchy acting in places here and there. And, you know, I, I don't want to pick any dis- uh, certain actor or actresses out or anything like that. But we have a commentary. Um, then we also have the long pilgrimage pilgrimage, that's words hard for me to say, the making of, featurette, Thanksgiving, 1978 short film, Talking Turkey, late night discussion, photo gallery, gag reel, auditions, teaser, and trailer. So if you are a fan of the movie, this one has quite a bit of the special features on there. Uh, yeah, I think it's alright. Um, like I said, I like the idea of, you know, it taking place in a diner with a mixture of characters, and they do try to add some flavor to the characters. I also forgot there was another waitress, our main character's waitress, but there's also another waitress who's really bitchy and stuff, and they go back and forth. So it's, it's a mixture of Characters that some some of which you probably wouldn't see in a classic eighty slasher, um, so that's always refreshing. But then again, that's become like uh, the 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 norm now, which is good. Which is good to mix up your characters. You don't want all the same repeat characters in every eighty slasher movie, right? Oh, redo or throwback or whatever you do. Okay, the next one up is from Film Detective, and this is from 1959, and this is The Bat. And I had heard about this one for years. It was always, like, I feel like public domain, so, like, everybody always had, like, a couple crappy editions of The Bat. Um, The big thing was that Vincent Price was in it, and I was like, oh, well, you know, now it's time to watch it. It's getting a nice Blu-ray release. Film Detective does great work, always has nice features on there, and it's got Vincent Price. So, 59. So this movie opens up, and it opens up in one of the most beautiful moments. I actually had to rewind it and watch it a second time. So Price is talking to somebody, and this guy lays out this long criminal plan. I don't want to spoil absolutely everything, but the way it unfolds, the way that Price's delivery is, it's some of his finest moments right right there. I mean, Price always has great moments, but this moment, his his delivery and everything, is just wonderfully perfect. So uh, basically what we have here is there's a killer called the Bat that's been going around and strangling people, I believe. And there's these two older women and there's something in this house that a lot of people want. It's kind of like a, a money, money scheme here. And the person who previously lived in the house has died. And there's people after the stuff that's in the house. And the bat comes around. We know pretty much right off the bat, this can't be the bat. Right off the bat, it's not the bat. Maybe it's somebody in the disguise as the bat, but maybe the bat's the same, one and the same. Maybe there's going to be two killers. It's very similar to the Cat and the Canary from 1927, and that kind of deal where there's a lot of gaslighting, there's a lot of like comedy of errors, of people wandering around their house, and, and kind of just being goofy. The two women that are in the house are really funny. They have uh, a lot of good dialogue, and back and forth, and there's a lot of eccentric, kind of fun characters here. Of course, Price is involved. He is a doctor, and um, the police officer and some other people ask him for advice and all these kind of things So, but we know Price knows stuff that all the others don't. So there's a lot of skeevy, kind of sneaky people in here and there's a lot of fun little shots of, you know, like the bat outside the window and his silhouette and everything like that there's a lot of gaslighting as well characters, you know, tricking other characters and, and like these errors and, and figuring out everything and to be honest I didn't know who, who the, the final suspect was going to be. Similar to The Cat and the Canary like I said, these kind of old dark house comedy of errors, thrillers, um, very much In that vein, if not almost a duplicate in some ways. Um, Price again, he always steals the show. No difference here. The two uh, women in the house that are constantly fight, like running and scared, they're absolutely hilarious as well. They have a good back and forth. A lot of their dialogue is good. So it's a fun movie. It's a solid movie. It's exactly kind of what you expect it is. Kind of a light, kind of like horror crime film. Um, The dialogue is good. Um, It looks great. It sounds good for what it is. know, you got to think that Film Detective always does a solid job with their releases. This is no different. As far as special features are concerned, we have a feature-length commentary and companion essay, The Case of the Forgotten Author, from professor and film scholar Jason A. Nee. Uh, The case of Crane Wilbur, a feature from Bali who motion pictures on the director and the screenwriter of The Bat. And I always enjoy these. They're very thorough and straight to the point. Nine exclusive archival radio rebroadcast episodes featuring actor Vincent Price. So, yeah, if you love this movie and you have it on like a crummy, Angus Moorhead is one of the women in here. I should mention that. I forgot. Um, If if you have a crummy edition of this, then this is the edition to pick up. You won't be disappointed. Um, Yeah, and it's relatively well-priced, so The Bat. Okay, this next one here, I've actually covered before. It was on the MVD Rewind collection, but now we got an upgrade from 88 Films, who always does great work, and it is their debut 4K edition of Drive. So Drive, what year did this come out? I feel like it's got to be like mid to late 90s, 1997, of course. I wanted to make sure I got that right, because in a way, it's it's kind of like a weird mixture of like Buddy Cop, but I don't want to say Tarantino style, but it's like a Buddy Cop martial arts Tarantino style thing. And I mean that as the utmost compliment. Steven Wang directed this. Now, Stephen Wang, went and he directed Guyver and Guyver, um, Dark Hero. Now, Stephen Yang is one of these guys that when you see what he can do, all his films are very entertaining. There's always martial arts. There's always crazy stunts. There's just a lot of stuff that a lot of other directors wouldn't go through. And he always does a very solid job. He's one of these guys that, like, if I had unlimited money, I'd be paying for Stephen Yang's next movie. I would like to see what he would do. So he has uh, Mark Dukakis in here. I always say his name wrong, Mark Dukakis. He's in like John Wick 2. He's in Brotherhood of the Wolf. He's in a lot of like, you know, B movie action movies. But this guy right here is one of the best. He's charming, he can fight. He, he, he's just always, he's very good, and it's so strange to me, like, some of the action stars that made it, like, um, <laughs> Steven Seagal, and then this guy, he really did, but he was in the B level, you know, I guess Steven Seagal, at one point, was A-lister action star, but maybe if, if Steven Seagal's a B, he's a C, I don't know how this goes, anyways, I feel like Mark should have been way higher up, I feel like Steven Yang should have been higher up, well, watching this movie, I cu- couldn't help but think, I was like, everybody involved in this movie should have done, I mean, they did good things, they had good careers, I'm not trying to, like, downgrade what they've done because hell, John Wick 2, Brotherhood of the Wolf, those are great films. Those are big films. Everybody knows those films. But I'm just like, I feel like I wish they would have had done more. Done a lot more. You know, Yang and and, uh, Mark and everything. So, Anyways, the plot of this movie is Mark is like this secret weapon. He's uh, He has all these experiments on him, and he's super badass and tough. He ends up making a run for it, and he ends up running into this guy, Kadeem Haddison, And he's this, uh, this, this guy guy's going through a divorce and everything, and they pair up. And they're running from a bunch of uh, maniacs that are after them, led by, um, I can't think of the other guy's name, but one is Tracy Walter, classic character actor from things like Batman and Young Guns 2. And, um, jeez, what's the, the Hunter with uh, Steve McQueen? So he's in everything. This guy is a, is a great character actor at close range, which is a wonderful movie. So basically, and he is just ridiculously cheesy in this movie. He's always eating junk food, always saying dumb things, getting the crap picked out of him. So what ensues is a chase movie of these two running around, running into eccentric characters, including Brittany Murphy, and all sorts of weird kind of characters, and fighting nonstop, shooting, fighting, all this kind of great set pieces, just a, a wonderfully beautiful bar with motorcycle stunts. It's just a wild, crazy movie movie. Now this addition on here is the director's cut. So it's the uh, the extended director's cut which is almost two hours long and uh, they do have the regular cut as well but in that, we have Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. That's a huge upgrade. It sounds great. The explosions are there. We also have the original cut with alternate musical score, which is 100 minutes, which I've never actually watched that version. I've actually always watched this one. We have audio commentary with director Steven Yang, fight choreograph uh, Kochi uh, Sakamoto and stars Mark Dakakos and Kadeem Haddison. This is very funny. Their back and forth is great. They're kind of uh, having a lot of laughs. Um, Highway to Nowhere, Jason Tobin and Drive. Um, Drive, The Force Behind the Storm documentary. This is an old one. Six deleted scenes, which adds some character development. Interview, gallery cast, director and crew, including stars. Um, the both of Stars, director Steve Yang, second unit director Wyatt Weed, and stunt coordinator Kochi Sakamoto. Um, also has reversible slip. Anyways, uh, it looks and sounds wonderful. So if you've already bought the old one and you're like, I don't know if I want to upgrade, it is an upgrade. But if you haven't bought it yet, I would recommend picking up the 88 Films version. Um, it's a great film very entertaining, very fast-paced and just non-stop. It does run a little long because it's almost two hours long for this kind of buddy action movie, but it's really good stuff and I enjoy it and you can tell these guys are having a a great time and it's very contagious. Okay, the next one here is from Mondo Macabro from 1974. Great year for film. This is by director Jess Franco. This is the other side of the mirror aka the obscene mirror. There's actually a couple versions of this movie. Um, There's like a Spanish and a French version I think. It's lots of different things. So this runs almost 100 minutes, which is kind of long for a Jess Franco. I'm sure he's had 300 movies. I'm sure some of them were a little long. <clears throat> now, you know, Jess Franco sometimes gets a bad reputation for some of his later cannibal films in the 80s or some of his SOV direct-to-video stuff, which, of course, they're not up to snuff with some of his early 60s and 70s output. That stuff is genuinely great, a lot of it. Vampiros Lesbos, I, She Killed in Ecstasy, Venus and Furs. A uh, bloody moon is even a blast, but those early ones are are very good films. They're very good Euro horror films. They have a lot of style and and they're just different. There and Count Dracula, I love. So Jess Franco has quite a bit of films. I would put this in good films. And, and the good category, I really enjoyed this. Now this is your typical kind of, it's, it's not typical exactly, but it is your typical kind of, you know, you guys know the stories of the psychologically damaged individual that is always on the cusp of losing their minds. Think Killer of Dolls, Psycho, A Million Movies, um, Pigs. There's just so many of these movies. I know there was a freaking book written about A House of Psychotic Women, about the female side of those. And there's tons and tons of these movies. I love that. I eat that stuff up. So we have a woman. Uh, this this woman, she is. Um, she's in a slew of movies, and, and like I was embarrassed because I didn't recognize her right off the bat. She's in Count Dracula. She's just in so many movies, and I was like, I can't believe I didn't recognize. Her. I've seen like twenty of her movies. That she might be a chameleon, or I just might be a dummy, a little bit of both, possibly. So right off the bat, this woman is. She, she's like kind of narrating everything, and her father is Howard Vernon, just Franco Regular. He's in a million movies. Very good. He's in Delicatessen. Good actor. So. She basically talks about the moment she's going to get married and how over-strict her father is. They live in this wonderfully beautiful mansion and all this kind of stuff here. Um, she finds somebody she's going to get married, and on her wedding day, her father commits suicide. It's really bleak. The way she witnesses his, his death is through a mirror. So throughout the film, she's constantly seeing images of her father in the mirror. And every time she has some sort of sexual um, relationship or a romantic relationship, she visualizes these people being murdered. So it's just weird, strange element of, you know, possibly her father come possessing her through the mirror or her having this guilt complex of what her father did. And it's just really psychologically weird and crazy and, uh, really interesting. And she, she has a, a few encounters with people and you never really can tell exactly what's happening or how it's going to unfold. It's well shot. It's in a lot of gorgeous locations. There's a lot of sex and nudity and there's a lot of jazz music and plays and bands and stuff and her playing piano, all this kind of stuff, all good stuff. Um, Um, And then the very end. The very end, I think, works really well. I think it leaves it open to be like, wow, now how did that work exactly? But you really don't want to know because the tie-in with the psychological issues, maybe it's a haunted mirror, maybe Howard Vernon Beyond the Grave with the mirror. It's just a lot of cool stuff. Predates Oculus, I'll tell you that. Predates Oculus. And I love movies that play with mirrors. They're always very creepy, very different. Poltergeist 3, I said Oculus. You can do a lot with a mirror. Um, Mirrors are are just strange. Um, What was the one with Michael Berryman that came out of The Evil Within? Now that movie played with mirrors really well and it came out in 2015 the director had a, a tragic death and it was just a crazy freaking movie really bizarre but uh, the special features on here actually are a 50 seg- 56 minute interview with Stephen Thrower which is wonderful because he talks a lot about this movie he talks a lot about the different versions he breaks down you know Franco he's a Franco expert if anybody knows anything he knows everything about just Franco He's been in all these locations. He does a wonderful job. So then we also have audio commentary with Robert Montel and Rod Barnett. So yeah, it, it's a nice release. It looks great. This is my favorite of the three that Mondo put out by far. The other side of the mirror. It's it's up my alley. I dig this one. The other two are Love Brides of the Blood Mummy um, and, um, geez, the horrible sexy vampire. This one, I think, is the winner of the three that Mondo put out recently. Um, but I think all three are worth checking out. I think this is the the, the bunch. I watched them in the opposite order of how I like them. So there we go. Um, the other side of the mirror was the last one I watched, my favorite, and then a horrible sexy vampire like next. So, yep, there we go. Check this one out. I don't think you'll be disappointed if you're a Franco fan at all. I think you'll really eat this up. Dig it. Especially in terms of like Vampiros Lesbos, She Killed Nexasy, I feel like it's kind of in that vein. Maybe a little slower than those movies and maybe more dialogue driven than those movies, but it's still good. I'll be relatively quick with this one because we're going to cover it on 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. And this is Hellfest. This one came out a few years ago. And for some reason, I, I didn't see this one. 2018, way, way later than I thought. So uh, yeah, it, it, it sounded like it was cool. It's just I never checked it out. Now watching this, I, I directly compared it to Haunt. I feel like this and Haunt have a lot of similarities, except Hellfest I think is a little bit slicker, a little bit bigger budgeted. And yeah, I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, so in the very beginning, we have this uh, this character that seems to be like in this haunted house, and he murders this woman brutally, this girl. Bye. <laughs> And then we kind of fast-forward a year later, a couple years later, and we have a group of friends, about six friends, go into this haunted house, this big hell fest. And it's not just a haunted house. It's several haunted houses. It's like Cedar Point on on Crack, which is like this giant amusement park filled with multiple haunted houses and multiple different outcomes. So, of course, the friends are going there, and right away, this, this one creep starts to mess with them. He starts to follow them around and, just, and basically stalk them. And, and you're in a haunted environment, so you think maybe this is part of the act. Maybe it's not. But pretty soon, about the 30-minute mark, Mark on an hour and a half, uh, characters start to start to bite it, and the first death is I feel the best and the most graphic and the most disturbing. But as it progresses, you know this guy keeps playing mind games with them, stalking them, and picking them off, separating them from each other. So um, the set design is by far the best in the film. It's huge. It looks um, enormous. The colors, the the haunted haunted attractions are all great. Um, the sound mix is great. The visuals are great. It looks great. All the visual technical stuff, top notch. The the Special effects are really strong. So all that stuff is really good. The one complaint is that they have all these wonderful set designs, all these great back locations and all this kind of stuff and creativity. But when it comes to the actual kills, they're kind of just very, very haphazardly done. Um, they're not like poorly done. They're well done. They're just not very creative. You know, um, at one point two characters die at the same time simultaneously and just get stabbed and I don't know if they're just going for realism there but it's like we are at this haunted attraction where we could kill people in uh, endless ways why not take advantage of that and now, now sometimes they do but they don't do it enough but that's just kind of me nitpicking you know seeing a million slashers like this and as far as slashers are concerned like this is probably one of the better slashers I've seen in a long time as far as newer slashers are concerned it's four years old now but it's good stuff and I would put haunt in the same kind of caliber I think haunt is a little bit Darker, maybe, and grittier, and personal. And I think I feel like I like haunt better just because I've seen it two, three times. This one I've seen once. This one would definitely grow on me. I would watch a sequel to this for sure. Um, yeah, but it's just a big, fun, kind of almost popcorn horror, but kind of scary at the same time. I feel this is approachable for a lot of like everyday people to watch Hellfest and completely dig it. Um, I would recommend it. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, good stuff. We're gonna talk probably a little bit more in depth on the twenty two shots of moods and horror for our Halloween episode. But good stuff. Hellfest, check it out. Okay, so this next one here was given to me by. By, uh, the director Addison Binnick. Oh, hopefully, I'm saying your name right. And uh, yeah, so he gave me Psycho Ape at Cinema Wasteland. And, you know, this came out a couple years back. Psycho Ape really isn't, I, I feel like, you know, the type of humor is not really my thing, but I, I'd give it a spin. So, okay, here we go. This is a 64 minute movie, very, very experimental, very bizarre, very weird, very goofy, very insane. So, uh, Psycho Ape, if I had to put its DNA in anything, I would put it in Shellock, the John Landis movie. I feel like it has the most similarities to Shellock, which I think is a fun, kind of goofy, Parody movie, and this has a lot of parody, a lot of zany weirdness. Um, it is um, one of the most ADHD films, ADHD films I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and that come I have ADHD, so maybe the combination is just like this is a lot. So it is everywhere. It is bizarre, it is weird, it is shot like on an SOV kind of style deal, and the editing is bizarre and, and wonky and weird, and it's purposely done so. So they do cutaways every once in a while of like, you know, the characters dancing in like the 50s style nudie cutie bikini kind of beach movie these Things and that's kind of fun, um, including Psycho Ape who's just a guy in a suit. Um, and there's a lot of these long, um, weird, like dialogues that's like just improv of people arguing w- at one point about you know Ratatouille and Toy Story. It's like five minutes long to the point where the director walks out. So it's this kind of movie. It's just pure insanity. And like, here's what it comes down to. And comedy to me is the most subjective, right? It's 100 percent the most subjective. You know, a movie you could say is well made or something like that. You can argue. You can't argue like sometimes cinematography. You could say we. You prefer, but like, to well lit. You're like, you can't really argue. Or so maybe somebody say overly. But seriously, you can you can get to the nitty gritty of things. But when it comes to comedy, if somebody says, I don't think it's funny, or somebody eats something, my taste buds don't agree with this. I feel like that's the comedy of film review, right? My taste buds do not like this, and I uh, this isn't my type of comedy. It's purposely bad on purpose, but it's not like trying to make a shitty movie it's just trying to make a super a weird crazy goofy movie and i don't know how i feel about that necessarily the the humor doesn't really land with me like so a lot of people may love this they may think it's absolutely hilarious and, and just absolutely adore it and other people like myself could just won't laugh during the entire thing they might notice some you know some weird like maybe surreal touches that other people will enjoy myself personally it's not my thing um there's a lot of murders there's a lot of gore with bananas people get killed with bananas there's a lot of cgi blood splatter there's a lot of just random moments of people coming back to life. There's no rhyme, no reason. It's complete bonkers, batshit insanity, if that's what you're looking for. Very low budget. Uh, Kansas Bowling is in this, and she's one of the stars of the film, and she was actually in Once About a Time in Hollywood. I felt like I recognized her. She, I think she played one of the Manson girls. Do not remember how big her role was. She was really probably my favorite part of the film. I thought she was really solid in it. Um, and there's a couple really goofy moments that are, could be considered clever. There's bloopers at the end. It does not wear out. It's run. Uh, it's run. You know, it doesn't wear out. It's welcome. It's 64 minutes with credits. Like, and I, I'm the same way. My, my, Feature-length film with 66 minutes, so get it, get in, get done, get out of there. And like this is, it's a lot of inside jokes for the people that are involved with the film, which you know I, I probably most independent filmmakers could be very guilty of that as well when you're making backyard movies. So like I feel like in a certain environment this could do really well, you know, with a group of you know people that are drinking or just having a blast and that kind of thing. This could, this could play very well in some aspects, but by yourself, you know, and it's not your type of humor, you might not really dig it. Maybe, maybe if you were high doing stuff to you like wow this is crazy that kind of deal but this one really doesn't do much for me it's psycho ape director's a super nice guy and i'll I'll, I'll buy some of his movies when he makes more and everything like that i know he has a youtube channel so i'll put the link below if i remember true masterpieces he does like these kind of um um mystery science theater style show if i'm not mistaken so yeah um check it out and uh check this out if it sounds like it's up your alley the trailer should tell you everything Okay, the next one is the Patreon pick from John Wilhelm, and he picked Horror at thirty-seven thousand feet from nineteen seventy-three. This is a TV movie starring Chuck Connors, William Shatner, and Paul Winfield. So a nice cast in here, and this predates *Flight of the Living Dead* and *Snakes on a Plane*. So we're thinking horror, horror, you know, uh, plane horror. It also predates turbulence. I can't think of any. I mean it doesn't predate airport, does it? No, yeah, actually it does. So, so it's like when does this kind of stuff happen like uh disaster movies on a plane. Anyways, this is a possession kind of deal thing. So, what we have here is a, a cargo plane basically. It's it's more so for the cargo, but we have a group of passengers, all kind of weird strange individuals. Shatner is a, a ex-priest and his he's with this uh girl who's like and she they obviously had some trouble in their marriage. Chuck Connors is one of the pilots, Paul Winfield is a doctor. We have a group of other people uh country western actor a couple stewardess uh, a rich uh, couple who have brought this on the plane that are having trouble as well and we also have this kind of rich business guy that reminds me of like the business type version of Royal Dano I've seen this guy before he's really good in it. he's really a piece of shit and I love him uh, so basically what we have here it's a very short movie it's like it's like 70 minutes if that which I love In and Out so everybody gets on this plane and they, you start to develop some of the characters you pretty much learn who everybody is you know back and forth and you see the rich divide in the, in the first class and coach and all this kind of shit but pretty soon things start to get really weird and it turns out also we have also a religious fanatic on here who is obsessed with like older kind of style religion and she's warning these people that this thing is on the plane so essentially they took this, uh, this this broken piece of something a villa or something that has um Basically, these religious or these these kind of ancient kind of relics in them, maybe even Lovecraftian, old god kind of style thing, and they're on the plane, and this, she starts to warn them that this is going to be bad news. Uh, pretty soon, you know, the, the bottom of the, the plane starts to freeze. Anybody that goes down there gets frozen to death, and it starts to ooze this goo up onto the plane, and everybody's terrified. Um, they definitely go mob mentality at a certain point think the mist so like all these ideas are oh we've been in horror and human nature forever so they kind of go mob mentality at times and they have all these long um you know and and like like theories and and back and forth and everything and the characters a lot of them shine especially like I said Shatner's really strong in this like I know you're either you either love Shatner you don't but I think Shatner's really good in this I think he gets to flex you know his, his kind of character and he has the most interesting character with the with the most character development I think he's really solid in it and uh I enjoy um, his, his his end in here to be honest um Chuck Connors is always great you know Stoneface Chuck Connors does solid Paul Winfield also really good always a great actor Terminator Cliffhanger a million movies so like everybody like I said there's a bunch of other TV actors that are very very familiar to me but I don't know their names um so yeah at, at the end of it I thought it was a fairly solid TV movie like I was like this is good stuff this is uh, probably as good as it can get it's short it's to the point it's kind of creepy it's innovative I mean how many times do you get a possessed object on a plane that doesn't typically happen. Same year as Exorcist. I'm sure they probably saw the Exorcist and got this in production ASAP because there is kind of like somewhat of a possession angle, you know, where the religious kind of, you know, person kind of starts to snap and, and starts to be possessed by the possible, you know, a thing in the in the cellar and everything like that. So, yeah, I thought this was pretty good, pretty solid, um, creepy little TV movie from uh, 1973, horror at 37,000 Feet. Alright, I'm going to be fairly quick with this one. It is on Shudder, and it is Dark Glasses by Dario Argento. Who would think that 80 some year old Dario Argento or or 79 or something is spitting out a new horror film? This makes me very happy. He's been very... He's acting and and everything like that. So, here. Here's what it is. So, I still have the sour taste in my mouth of Argento's Dracula, of Giallo, of the card player. I did not care for these films very much. Um, Giallo, especially. Oh, Giallo is terrible. I think Argento's is better than Giallo. So, I, I wasn't a huge fan of these. So, I was very iffy on what I would feel about Dario's films. You know, a lot of times you see classic directors and you, they're like, did the, did, did, did the film market change so much that they can't get the money? Or or did they just change so much? or are they just no longer as good as we thought? Did they slip? You know, but you see some people like David Cronenberg and they're like, it's, movies are still good, right? I, I mean, they don't seem like they slipped. I haven't watched a lot of it, but you know what I mean? Like people have streaks. So putting this in, Almost the first like five minutes, I was like, this is already better than those movies. It's already shot better. Um, And it's just like, you feel like those movies that Dario made were just movies, products of their time, and it was just really a bad time for, you know, Italian cinema. And it probably wasn't really reflecting on how Dario Argento was, this movie's more low budget he doesn't have the amazing camera works or or things he can do like he he should be able to, right? Um, but he still manages, it's a slight movie and I don't mean that as an insult, it's not a huge movie it's not Tenenbrae, it's not Phenomenon, it's slight but it's really well done There's nothing wrong with this. I really enjoyed it. And it's looking like it's going to be in my top 10. So the movie opens with an eclipse, right? Like a solar eclipse, I believe. Or, yeah. And uh, basically, everybody's wearing these glasses. And we follow this call girl. And she's kind of going to, like, client to client. And she has a weird encounter with one. She doesn't think much of it. But we have this serial killer going around using his van in a lot of ways as a weapon. And killing these prostitutes in brutal detail. A gory detail. So, um, basically, he targets her and causes her to be in a vicious car accident, which claims the lives of a mother and father, or puts the mother in a coma and kills the father, and leaves an orphan boy, and also makes her blind so eventually you know exactly where this is going to go she gets a helper a dog helper you know like a companion dog to help her with you know everyday life and this young boy and her form this bond where they're going to try to figure out who this killer is classic Argento story right it reminds me of like what is it cat o'nine tales or something with the blind person who has a dog in here so that's a reference to Suspiria there's just so much classic Argento stuff in here the music is good it doesn't overpower the movie but it's solid fit music um There is an emotional level here, which I don't think Argento has all the time. He does sometimes, but he has it here. And I think there's an emotional level between our main character, the young boy and the dog. And I just felt myself connected. I felt... The characters were strong, too. Aja is in here as well, if I'm not mistaken. I just haven't seen her in so long. I was like, is that Aja? Is that Aja Argento right there? And, like, the acting's solid because, you know, uh, at that latter-day Italian phase when uh, Argento's making his last movies, it was Italian actors or foreign actors speaking English, second language, so it hurt their performances. Instead of doing the classic dubbing that Italy did, and I love those movies, those horror films that are dubbed in English and everything dubbed in all these different languages, but here he just has them speak in Italian. And it helped. Because my two major complaints about a lot of his movies were the poor CGI that they added in and the acting. And it's gone here. The acting's strong because they're speaking Italian. There's no bad CGI. Not really. I think there's one scene with some, like, spray or something. But that's completely forgivable. It's all, like, practical. There's some moments in here where the killer kills a couple people on the street. Good stuff. I really enjoyed this. This is better than... This is as good as Sleepless, if not better. It, I put it on the level of Sleepless. I like Sleepless. And uh, I was talking to Troy, and he said it's his, good, it, it's his, it's his best film since Stenhall. And maybe he's right. Maybe he is right. I think it's better than, you know, Phantom the Opera. That was 94, not 94. That was some 96. Anyways, but yeah, I think I don't hate Phantom either. Like, the only ones I really dislike are Giallo and a card player. Like, as far as Argento's films, I don't think they're very good movies at all. Period. Um, But this one I really enjoyed. So it's just just like this refreshing moment to see, like, Argento make a movie in this environment. And it's good. And it makes me so happy that, you know, all these theories about directors losing, you know, their touch. No, they lost their budget. They lost their support team a lot of times, right? It's not always them just being old. And, And, you know, some of them it is. Some of it is. Sometimes you get lazy, tired, whatever. But a lot of times it's just, you know, nobody's counting in on you. And Dark Glasses is great for, for what it is. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hype this up. It's not a 10 out of 10 or something. But it's 7.5 and, and 8 out of 10 for me. And that's high. And, and that's the highest I've had an Argento movie be since Stendhal Syndrome. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I enjoyed this. And it's short, too. And I'm looking at all the runtimes, of all these fucking movies coming out, fucking two hours for a Hellraiser movie, two hours for a Halloween movie. And I liked Halloween movies, so I'm like one of the only ones, but I have about half and half, but it's just like an hour and 45 minutes for this, this movie. And I'm just like, what the fuck happened? Like I recently rewatched, um, Halloween and, and Nightmare on Elm Street and Return of the Living Dead. These fucking movies are like 90 minutes and they're, they're great. They're brilliant. I wish there was I wish they need to start cutting some shit down. I know streaming you don't have to cut stuff, but you got to The first thing they tell you anytime and I'm telling all these professional filmmakers that make millions of dollars and everything, kill your babies, man. Movies are too long now when they don't need to be. I understand it, it can be as long as it has to be. But a lot of these movies do not have to be this long. And I'm looking at you, Hellraiser. I'm looking at you, Halloween Ends, even though I really like Halloween Ends. I'm looking at you, 90% of the movies on Shudder that are almost pushing two hours. What the fuck's going on? Especially if it's low budget. Take a page from Psycho 8. Make that fucker like 60 minutes. But honestly, make it like 85 minutes, 90 minutes. Come on. I'm sorry, complaining. Um, this movie's 86 minutes, and I loved it. So, Dark Glasses. All right, guys, we're here for something a little different. I know I promised you a Universal movie, Last Warning or Last Waltz, and we'll do that next week. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll keep doing this. But being around Halloween, uh, we saw that Peacock had the Halloween ends on there. I didn't go to see it in theater, I'm sorry. But this is like the only series that somehow you manage to see the new new boot, reboots of all the Halloweens. So I think we saw 2018 in theaters, and uh, we, were, we we enjoyed it, I think. I mm-hmm. did. And then we saw Halloween Kills and I was real iffy on Halloween Kills. I, I I came down on the side of liking it, but I thought it was really kind of poorly constructed in a lot of ways, but enjoyable. But it's the 12th Halloween movie. So Halloween ends, I was hearing a lot of very mixed things. Mostly negative at first. A lot of vitriol, like, worst Halloween ever. And this is what made me realize that now with social media, people fight about movies like they fight about politics, and it's really disgusting and weird. The stakes are not that high, guys. It's just a Halloween movie. Like it or don't, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Okay? Saying that, um, personally... I've never been like a Halloween fanboy. I love the original. I love some of the sequels. I even like the Rob Zombie movies, and I know a lot of people dislike them because they either don't like Rob Zombie's filmmaking style, perfectly acceptable, or they feel that what he did to Michael Myers is something they don't want to see. Perfectly acceptable as well. But I I, I got really tired of hearing it after the 150th time. And, and the anger that spews out of horror fans because of it is just childish, and it's not funny. Like If you're saying something completely different and unique, all day... But you're not. Everybody's just repeating the same shit. And this one is something weird. And I'm going on this weird tirade because I'm really sick of seeing it. Like, I've seen people post five days in a row, 20 posts a day. I'm exaggerating a little bit about this. Just complaining about it nonstop. And I'm just like what are you doing with your life? I, I'm sorry. Like, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. Get your shit together. It's not going to be the end of the world. Maybe you're that connected to Halloween, but you guys are even lucky you're getting sequels. I had two Day of the Dead remakes in a television show that were barely watchable. So and you don't see me having a heart attack over it every 10 seconds. Cornell Trigger so, never got a problem. That's, you people. see what I'm saying? It's such a weird fan ownership <laughs> when you come to things like Halloween and Star Wars. It, it's, it's disgusting. And that's how I feel about the entire situation. Saying that, I loved Halloween Kills. It's my favorite of the... Tri- Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends. It's my favorite of the trilogy. I, I, out of the three, yes. Mm-hmm. And I understand. And you know why? Because it's least like a Michael Myers slasher movie. I, I mean...
1: I, I think it, I, I've never made it... Um, I never, like, hid the fact that I'm just not big on You're slashers. Um not big on I understand. Um, They're inherently boring. And, and this one, I think, tries to do things
0: a little bit different. Um... We're going to spoil this, so do you want to get in the plot or do you want me to get in the plot? You can talk a little bit if you no, like. No, first. no, you, no, you, you,
1: you, you get in the plot. Okay, so yeah.
0: this takes place, uh, essentially, the bulk of the movie takes four years after the incidents of Halloween 2018. But initially we see something in 2019 where this young man um, basically accidentally kills a young boy during babysitting. And it, call, it follows a long line of little kids being assholes in this, in this new trilogy. The, and this is actually, like, I think the acting is mostly solid in this, but that little kid had some really <laughs> patchy moments. But hey, yeah, it is what it is. But as after we see this, we kind of feel four years later that he's still, like, he's an outsider. He's ridiculed by everyone. He's getting picked on by fucking marching band geeks uh, that are high schoolers and he's 22 years old. He has no one. Jamie Lee Curtis is now kind of settled down and she's not as crazy as she used to be or as obsessive as she used to be. She kind of found the middle ground of kind of being protective still kind of weird but she sees this young boy and sees the you know the hate that the town has for him and they have a kindred spirit within it because the town blames her for all the mayhem that happened last time and Myers disappearing and all the people that died and they paint this picture of this town in a way that the the hate that they brought towards Michael Myers has stained everyone and everything in this town to be cursed And I thought that that was a really brilliant way of doing it. I thought it was a great way of turning this supernatural without just having your juggernaut boogeyman like you have typically. And it incorporates very well Donald Pleasant's eyes. He had no eyes. The black in his eyes. That actually comes into play, which I was like, that is very cool. And I understand why people don't like it because they're just like, "Eh, they want Michael Myers. They want Michael Myers. I'm the guy who likes Halloween 3. I, I'm the guy who likes Friday 5. I don't give a fuck. I do not give a flying fuck. I don't care. Like, these guys are, are basically um, catalyst in the movie. They, I know they do great jobs and, and Jason's awesome and Michael Myers is awesome and they're just iconic as shit. But in a lot of ways, you know, sometimes I'm more for the character-driven stuff and this one is a psychological movie. Someone posted, this is uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, the, the Halloween version. I was like, and those are some of my favorite kind of films. So saying that, I thought that they painted the Halloween town well. I thought that the the stain that Michael Myers left, I loved how Michael Myers was weakened and he needed, you know, the kind of that hate and those kills and that to be reminded of it, it just made a lot of sense. Like the vessel is the vessel. It's evil. It, it only needs a new body. And and, it, and that, I thought that was really interesting in some ways. And plus, I love some of the kills. So I'm sorry, I'm good on talking about it. So you? Oh, I, I think that it, it was
1: fantastic. Um, like I said, when we were watching Halloween Kills, um, it was interesting to see them take like, a, you know, a realistic like like this is real world stuff. They take Michael Myers and they they start giving him supernatural elements, and that he's becoming almost like a mythological feat, like figure, almost like a cryptid. Um, in the community, and and they continue that in this, and they one. fed it,
0: they burned into it. If they would ignored at, Myers, he, he, he might have just um, won away.
1: He might have. And I think it takes. Is it Haddonfield? Yeah. It, it, it takes like like the town of Haddonfield and and mob like the mob mentality, the mob mentality, and and it's like 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 this is this is now the character of the movie. Um, you know, and how does this town like process or recover from its
0: trauma? And in in a way, in a way, yeah, it's very similar to Halloween Two by Rob Zombie while she's processing that trauma. <laughs> but instead of having an individual, it's a whole fucking town. And it, I it like that. And everybody in thing. the right. town just seems miserable. And and I think that the nice little touches of characters in here, like the bullies are fine. Um, The stepfather, uh, Ronald, is yeah. the best. Yeah. I I, the best. I, think I hope great. you find love. <laughs> right? And uh, he was great. He was wonderful. Um, The DJ is great. Oh, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. I'm going to fuck you all up. Like, that's exactly what I, got, I would say. I was going to have like... Get the fuck out of here! I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Like you get the fuck out of here. He was a prick, but oh yeah, yeah. But he was still great, and he spreads that fucking garbage information, hyping up the fucking masses to eat all that garbage shit to keep that hate spewing, to keep that fear spewing. And it's just like, I mean, there's, you know what? Out of all the Halloween movies that there are, very rarely could you look at them and even have a conversation about them like this. Well, and you and you know, I know, I, I don't, I'm not
1: trying to be a dick about Halloween, but you know. Well, oh, yeah, I I have no stake in Halloween, and like I said, like like last time, it's like like this is Halloween sixty four. W- what do you want? <laughs> I mean, same, same thing with Hellraiser fucking twelve, and same thing with Texas Chainsaw right. fucking
0: nine. Like you're lucky you're even getting
1: them, right? I I mean, just, just watch them, you know. Like what? You know, who cares? Um, but no, I I think that this one and even the prior one, I think they did like a fantastic job, like building the characters, it, building the community, um, to where you know who these people are and granted i i've i vaguely remember watching halloween one and two as a kid yeah. like on the tail end yeah of like, halloween one's embedded in everyone's brain me at least y- you it's know it's like it, the beatles of me it's in your it's right, in every horror fan's brain right if, if i've seen halloween one or two i don't remember i was probably five or six and it was probably on the tail end uh, AMC, of, of, of AMC Halloween. or yeah, USA. They used, play, play, yeah. they used
0: to play like 1, 4, and 5 all time. Right,
1: like I, I I, don't remember. Um, You know, and then you get into later Halloweens and it's all just, you know, it, it's well, that's the thing. What, what's that bloat's
0: name? For Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Miles coming. He's just, the best. Yeah, crazy. Out. He's great yeah. though. He's yeah. a wonder because he's, he's a great character actor. But like I always always say, like it's just off memory. Like mm. the first three and four is okay, and then we get like five, six, seven. I don't. I know people like seven because the it, it's obviously a different kind of film, and it's much better than you know five, six, and eight. Is that the one
1: where he goes to hell?
0: No, No, it's H two O. But he does. H two O. But that's that's the. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis direct sequel to part two. One. Oh, I did see that yeah, one. Yeah, so, so, I yeah. mean, like, I don't care for those four, like, five, six, seven, and eight off memory. Like, those are the ones that I'm like, Egh. I know people hate the Rob Zombie ones, and I get why. I just, I'm just so sick of hearing about the hate for Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's like, just why keep talking about it? You guys are fucking Haddonfield. You guys are Haddonfield, and you're just fueling that fucking hate, and you're not <laughs> letting it fucking die. Just let it fucking die, you goddamn monsters. I'm sorry. I am a whore fan through and through, I'm a film fan, but I get so disgusted by the, the, the way that social media has turned people into absolute monsters. Like who it is what it is. Like and just non stop post about it? Like, grow the fuck up. I, I'm sorry, this is turning into a rant, but that's just how I feel. Like who cares? Like you like it, you don't like it, cool man. You can tell me why, you can tell me why you don't. And that's all fine. We we don't we're not the same person. We don't have the same hang ups. And we all do have hang ups. So there is certain reasons that sometimes somebody doesn't like something, it's kinda of bullshit or something. Somebody likes something. It's kind of bullshit. We're different people, man. It's just all different. As far as I love the Halloween feel in this. I like that it it felt a little bigger. I felt the scope was just a little bit wider. Not a, the second one had a bigger scope, but the second one came across cheaper to me because they had so many people in there. I feel like they they kind of made up for you know like they had to cut the budget in places. This one I felt. It just felt like a real lived-in city, uh, town, and just a desolate, disgusting town. And I love the psychological stuff between this guy and Myers. And there's a part where he goes out and he's trying to kill somebody, and you're like, "Oh, she's gonna get away." And then Myers comes in and helps it. And I was just like, "Oh shit, that was awesome!" I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many cool things like that. And everybody in the town has it coming. Oh, well, they absolutely do. Um, and then I
1: I love like like the the youthful romance in this movie as, as toxic as it may be um i i I think it's something touching. Yeah, it's like. coming of... And the elderly
0: romance. And the elderly Between Will Patton and Jamie Lee Curtis yes. is very sweet. They're it's just, very sweet. The dialogue is good. And Jamie's good in this one. She was good in the first one. 20, of course, I'm not talking to Sammy, but 2018, I thought she was solid in... They didn't give her shit to do in Halloween Kills, which right. is what they did in the original Halloween 2. But this one, they, they bring her back, and I feel like she's got one of her stronger performances in there. She she is a, a fully developed character,
1: I, I feel. and And I think if you take these three movies and... I think look at look at her. I, I think that she she's just yeah. a fantastic character. I mean, and I've always had a soft spot for I Jamie mean, Lee Curtis. Yeah, I Jamie mean, Lee's cool in real life too. So. Exactly. So it's like I I'm just going to vibe with her anyway. And I I don't know. She she was just pretty
0: awesome in this. I, and honestly, I'm going to say this. Like I was pretty. <coughs> dismissive of Halloween Kills. It's like, eh, it's a crappy 12th movie or whatever. It's entertaining. I liked it for what it was. I do still feel some of the acting is very patchy and some of the writing is very patchy and stuff like that. I do. And that's not going to change. It's just not on the caliber to me as far as some people may say about this one. But what I will say is that this one made me appreciate Kills a little bit more. And I know people are saying, I can't believe the same guy directed all three of these. And no, their styles are completely different. The 2018 is more like the original, and then they just get completely bonkers and weird. Like, he Mm -hmm. creates all the the goofy ones and and Halloween kills all the Halloweens there. And this one, is just like he's kind of tying it up to be a point. And and what's very funny about this, like, I I think as a trilogy they work in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And I, I can understand why people wouldn't like one or the other. And I understand why people don't like this. But the stuff that bothers people... About these franchise films when they come out, you know, hey, Michael Myers wasn't in Halloween 3. Hey, Jason Voorhees wasn't in Friday the 13th Part 5. They, over time, they mean nothing. And they become kind of the cult favorites of the bunch. And And maybe the hate of a lot of people pushes the, the love of others. You know what I mean? Like, those needed love, but then they become just beloved. Like, if you look at something like Near Dark, it was kind of not appreciated as much as it should have been. Now it's it's one of the most popular movies of its year. Which, probably rightfully so to a certain extent, you know. Um, it, it's I, But it's just, it's crazy how that shit works, right? And I, I'm i not saying it's hard to predict what the hell is going to happen in the future. Who knows? I mean, the way that society and social media is, I, I don't know what sticks and what doesn't stick or what will not stick it's just weird and everybody thinks that their place that they're living in is different than everything else and it is and it's all the same and maybe it won't matter you know it's hard to say Hmm. but this one had the guts it had the guts to do what friday fucking five or six should have done or five part five where tommy jarvis was the killer
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it had the guts to do what halloween three did michael myers isn't here michael myers isn't the focal point Right, and I just love watching people complain that Michael Myers isn't. In- and you know what makes me like it more? And this is shitty. This is some hater ass petty shit. You are a hater ass petty shit. I <laughs> I I live it. I breathe it. The tears of the the Halloween fans that are mad about it make me happy. <laughs> this is. This is all the Rob Zombie shit you guys talked. Yeah, they're not the best movies ever. Who gives a shit? The fucking Halloween fucking 10. Like, relax, right. bro. Like, you know, if that came out in 1985, people would be like, oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I'm surprised I like this more than anyone. I put this on and I was like, here's this piece of shit. I really thought that. I did because I, I thought Halloween Kills was okay. Um, I like it a little bit more now. But here's the fact is, it's I have no dog in this race. And no, I'm no. so happy. This was refreshing. This is the only fucking time in modern history that a fucking slasher franchise sequel is gonna make in my top ten, possibly my top five. Right. And I can't believe it. And it's nothing like. It's it's literally somebody made the joke that this is Henry, serial. I think it was Ezekiel Ezekiel Bates, and I was like, he's right. It is. And Henry's my like sixth favorite horror film ever made.
1: And, and you know, and this one, it, it's not really a slasher. And and I think that's <laughs> it's its strength is... I do genuinely feel that slashers are inherently boring. They're like, the,
0: the the movie of just... They're very much a product of their time, and I think that it's oh, very hard to recreate that magic in a modern slasher. Well, it's it's just, hard.
1: It is. Ever I, since I, screen, I mean, you a,
0: really can't do it.
1: A, a big, voiceless unresponsive juggernaut going around you know slitting the throats of people and it's just you know an hour and a half of screaming and blood it's like it it gets boring that's why this
0: is character driven
1: and this is very character driven and it's very plot driven and and like it's cathartic like you know you you feel for the villain in this you feel for the heroine in this like it's like, you, you kind of want both sides to kind of succeed yeah. because, you know,
0: everybody's just been kind of overall shitty to them. The deaths are great. The um, deaths are great. The DJ death is fucking wonderful. Mm-hmm. The blowtorch, I got excited. When the whole the, junkyard oh, scene? Oh, the yeah. junkyard scene's awesome. It reminded me of the Jim Van Beber short, Chunk Blower, where mm-hmm. uh, it was never completed, but the guy was a, a, a wrecker, and he'd go around and kill people with blowtorches and shit. And the, yeah, I wish that would have been made. That would have been a gnarly slasher. But this one, man, like... Those are fun kills. Like it's just, right. I had fun with it. Like I know people are like, this is the last of the Halloween of this series, and like they're just, they're probably very vested in it. They're very vested. I think that a lot of people that are severely invested in this and they they love Michael Myers and they need that Michael Myers kick. They're not going to enjoy it as much, even though somebody put next to the screen time and they said that Michael Myers was in the original Halloween only like a minute less than this one or something a minute more but this one's 20 minutes longer so it matched up or whatever but still it's and then the credits so it's not too far off Michael Myers appears in the original almost as much as this one but we also have another killer so there's probably more action in this one but the fact is that I mean the monster in the shadows is better Freddy Krueger Hell All Pinhead in the first two movies Mm -hmm. They're just in the shadows for the most part. I mean, you got Frank and Julia and Hellraiser, so you got a lot of villains. But I'm just saying, the main, you know, one that took Storm. the force of nature. Yeah, if you it's yeah. it's not overutilized. So when Myers is there, he's he's he's, he's interesting. impactful. Yeah, yeah, and when he starts to pick it up, and he picks up the knife. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, like, I will say the one thing that's very funny about these movies is, like, the original Gordon Ramsay, we're trying to get away from the sequel stuff and yada, yada. But they share so many similarities to all the sequels. Like, even a homeless guy is fucking there next to Michael Myers. How many homeless guys has Myers been involved? Part 5, there's a homeless guy. And then Rob Zombie, part 2, there's a homeless guy. Like, these share a lot of DNA with all the Halloweens, mm. including zombies. So, I mean, like, they're all they're all like that. But, I mean there's only so much you can do. And this one tried something different. It's going to work for some people. Some people are going to hate it. I mean, it is what it is. 50% of the fans want something new. 50% of the fans want the same old formula because it's been done a million times and it's easy, right? right? So, like, that's the problem. Like, it it is... And you're not going to please everyone. And this is... I'm just surprised it's so divisive. Like, almost to the fact where, like, we're talking about, you know, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden here. And it's just like... It's Halloween Thirteen. It's not that. It's, I mean, like Halloween fans are getting to the point where like they're worse than Star Wars fans, and like, to the like, are they just gonna like kill David Gordon Green so he never makes another fucking movie again? Well, I, the fact of the matter is, is,
1: is 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 love it or hate this. In five or ten years, you you're gonna get one. a whole other Halloween movie. Maybe a little. And that one. in that time, I will still be waiting for Chrono Trigger to get a proper sequel and or remake. 40 years after the fact that it was made. So, you guys are lucky. You're welcome.
0: I mean, you get all these Halloween movies. Think of the poor Friday and Nightmare fans. Like, they ain't got shit. Leatherface. um, Oh, yeah. They got (laughs) fan films, which are uh, bullshit. Fan films are bullshit when they do Kickstarters. I'm on a rant here. Fucking pay for your own goddamn fan film. Nightmare's weird
1: because, like... I do feel like without um, Robert Englund, like, you you kind of do diminish a character. Now, if you wanted to make a movie... You it's, 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 would
0: have to like totally recreate Freddy, I feel. Well, you need to... I, I You're right to a certain point, yes. But what if they just use Robert Englund's voice? And possibly... But I, I think that you need to re-put Freddy they're in. To- they're like, there's this rumor for the last 20 years that it should be Kevin Bacon. Don't put Kevin Bacon in the movie, you know why? Because Kevin Bacon's not going to come back for five sequels. No. Kevin Bacon is also fucking already 60 years old, you guys. You guys do not think fucking properly. By the time you fucking want to make a sequel, Kevin Bacon's like, I'm too tired for this shit. Why don't you put a guy who's, you know... 35, 40 years old in the fucking role. You can hear his blood pressure increase. I just, <laughs> I just can't understand the lack of logic at all that people, like, they've been saying that rumor for 25 fucking years. 25 years ago. Yeah, it's great. Girl, Kevin Bacon, Because he played a pedophile 37 fucking times. Oh, yeah. It's just like, I got that role down pat. You know? Except the one time he didn't play the pedophile, he played the cop in the movie about the pedophile. Yes. And he was probably the only halfway decent human being in that movie right. besides uh, Tim Robbins. But <laughs> guess what? Tim Robbins dies in that movie. Spoiler right. for Mystic River. Yeah, circa 2004. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I like this a lot. I I understand if you don't like it, that's fine. I can see why. It's not like the other Halloween movie. So, like, I didn't care. I didn't love the new Hellraiser. I didn't hate it. But it's not what I wanted in a Hellraiser movie. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't have a heart attack online and be like, I just basically said my review and left it at that. Now, now, now everybody has a review voice, you know what I mean? Right. But you could. You could easily do what I do. You could easily do what anybody does. Or you could just post 37 different things on Facebook where no, and scream into the fucking abyss. He puts next to no effort into any of this. I don't even know where I am right now. Right, and I just got roped along because I was in the same room. I need He's to the only person that will talk point. to me anymore. <laughs> I've been sleeping in this movie room for... I don't even. I don't even know how long. A while, <laughs> while. Wow. I'm sorry. I know I got a little ranty, but it's just it's just the same old shit. It's just I feel like it's it's over and over again, and just like, at being a whore fan, it's very hard to just watch people do the same shit over and over again. It just drives me crazy. You see a pattern, and you just get annoyed by the pattern, and it's just uh, you know the pattern of life and the pattern of stupidity and in ridiculousness. And why? Why? Who gives a fuck? What's the matter? Just just end it. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Dude. Halloween ends. Let's end this. Thank God. (laughs) Oh, Before we hop into these questions and stuff, I think I need to give a couple shout-outs. I I feel like I haven't done in a while. Um, I don't think... I know we had a new patron. I can't remember the name. But I think... I don't even think I gave David Garrett uh, Michigan or Michigan David Garrett a shout-out. And this guy... He runs a podcast. He does a great job. I'll put a link below. He's very intelligent. He handles everything really well. He's very friendly. And uh, I listen to his podcast. So I'm definitely going to put a link for his podcast below if I remember. But check it out. Um, Geez, what is it? Um, Journey uh, with a Cinephile. Check it out on Spotify. So questions and answers and all this good stuff. Mr. Frights Ramblings. Barbecue, brisket, breakfast, biscuit. Hell Van is a blast. By the way, I was grieving father number one. Love it. Um, Nick Mua. Seems I uploaded my answers too late or they got deleted. So here they are again. A film that worked as a personal eye-opener. Um, basically, I asked you a movie that like made you change how the way you think. The Cement Garden, based on Ian um, McEwen's controversial novel, starring a then-unknown Charlotte Gainsborough. This film made me realize I was gay. Everyone was going on and on about how hot Charlotte looked, what teenage me had more eyes for a brother. Till then, I had considered myself like everybody else. I was wrong. I hope you had a fantastic birthday bash with all your loved ones, young man. Also, that you received many, many gifts. I may send you extra slutty tank top. I got plenty of those, as you can tell. Um, Last time, I meant to ask if you felt that old-age makeup had vastly improved. I feel it has. Case in point, me a Gotham X. Sorry if my English has gar- got garbled. I-, I actually haven't watched X yet, but um, I don't know if old-age makeup is getting better, because you look at um, Father um, Marin and The Exorcist, and Dick Smith did such good makeup on that everybody thought that um geez uh how could how could i forget his name off the top of my head um i can't believe i forgot uh max von Sydow's makeup was they thought it was old so no i just think that maybe sometimes they've gotten better at improving it all the time because dick smith's makeup isn't has is not been bettered right it's not really been bettered. um maybe people just complain about it more so they they started focusing on it more any more commentary gigs with Vinegar Syndrome? Or any other home media companies coming up? No, I do not. But I'm open for it. Actually, if anybody's interested in that, I, I will do it. I'm not the best, but I I'll do research and I'll do the my I'll do my best. Would you do a commentary for a movie you hated? Absolutely not. Why do you think people are so rude to each other in the online film community? Because you don't have to look at people's faces. And nowadays with social media, everything's turned into a a, um, you're right, I'm wrong kind of mentality. And people are, look at this Halloween discussion. People are killing, they're acting like it's politics and it's fucking Halloween. Great show as always, though I do miss the question of the week. Um, I'll have one occasionally. Also, I've enjoyed the horror in the 80s vids. I hope you tackle other decades in the near future. No, we're, we're whatever retro years we get is what I do. Uh, B. Rodriguez, I have to disagree with you on The Man Who Laughs. I think it's definitely top tier silent horror, even if it's borderline horror. I did love it a lot more on second viewing, so maybe you'll have the same reaction. Good chance, good chance. Horror Cinema, best line in Tim Burton's Batman was when Jack Nicholson was asked, What's with that grin? He replies, Life's been good to me. Uh, horror Cinema, Grindhouse Video moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, not Kentucky. Thank you for the information. And a correction. Ken Coakley. Conrad Witt, who was an actor who played Gwynplaine, Lord uh Chal Charlie, he was also Caesar in the uh Summer Bo- Summer Bullist in the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, as well as Major Henrik Strauser in Casablanca. He was very close to being cast as Dracula before they found Lugosi. You're right about Universal not marketing their early films as horror. Dracula was marketed as a love story. It was even released on February 14, 1931. As for the Blind Man's Hermit appearance in Frankenstein film, it is Bride of Frankenstein. One of the hunters chasing him out of out was John Carradine. In the script, after he got chased out the blind man's home, the creature was supposed to run through a cemetery and spot a life-size statue of Jesus on the cross. The creature, thinking it was a real person in the need of assistance, tries to get Jesus off the cross. The censor said it was too blasphemous, but as a Christian myself, I didn't see any harm and said he knocks over the statue of a bishop. See, I would have liked that because, you know, in the novel, um, he compares himself to, you know, Adam, and there's just lots of stuff in the novel that didn't make it into the initial Frankenstein books, and that would have been a good bit of, you know, religious iconography for the Frankenstein creature. I actually liked the new Hellraiser, right? An audio cassette of the Hellbound Heart, which was read by Clyde Barker himself. When he reads the character lines, he sounded dramatic. He sounded kind of robotic when he read the Head Cinebite's dialogue. I worked at a theater that had the 1987 Hellraiser, and I watched it over and over. The first two had the best lines. The first movie, obviously, I'll tear your soul apart, and the the second movie, had it. If you're lying, you'll suffering would be legendary, even in Hell. Also, the Doctor Cinnabite Cinebite and Hellbound still freaks me out. Chenard's my favorite, Chenard. But when I watched the new one, I just kept telling myself Doug Bradley is not going to stumble onto this film. A lot of people have been bashing this, The Monsters Halloween Ends, but I think that was for the sake of being contrarian. I watched The Monsters knowing it was going to be a kid's movie. This wasn't going to be another Lords of Salem, and I liked Halloween Ends no matter what they say on Facebook. I also really enjoyed Halloween Ends, haven't had a chance to watch The Monsters, and I think Hellraiser's good. It's just not what I wanted out of the Hellraiser movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie see like that's the thing is just i i i love the first two hellraisers i maybe i you know and, and a lot of people have been saying their love for hellraiser doesn't stem from the Cenobites. it stems from frank and julian and i like chenard in the second one a lot and it's just a lot of stuff in there my favorite line in hellraiser um too is and to think my favorite i love it it's everything comes together for Shenard in his head and as a cinebite and it's just a beautiful moment um, of horror uh, movie junkie reviews this that's very nice you reviewed hell van sounds like a family affair at the convention it, it, it's, it's better than that but it's a blast mad science films haven't seen quiet nights and cliche but the director did a mental film called the return in 92 where jesus comes back from the dead and runs with a terrorist group that sounds great i'll have to check that out so basically i don't have any questions or anything like that and um you know what I only have one thing for an update, so let's just make it simple on me. Make it easy on me for once, guys. Just do that for me. And it is the 4K of Return of the Link Dead, um, one of my all-time favorite movies. I couldn't pass this bad boy up, Screen Factory. Now, when I watched it with the original sound, um, now, I can't remember. I've watched so many versions of this movie over the years, and his sounds have all been messed up. But here, basically, now, in the original version, when Frank burns himself in the crematorium... Aurora Elkson's burn or Erickson's burn plays throughout the entire thing. When I put the the sound that initially comes on with this, it did not. So I wonder if they made a mistake there. That's a huge part. One of my favorite parts of the movie. Now I know they corrected that in the Blu-ray, or they had that version. So maybe I should have changed it to the 5.1 mix, and it's in there. Anyways, if they fucked up, it wouldn't be the first time from Screen Factory. So, anyways, if you guys want a closer look, would you like a closer look? Waxwork. Okay, David Warner, one of my favorite movies. So there we go. Yeah, it's it looks nice. It sounded great, but again, that little nitpick there. So anyways, uh, we're out of here, guys. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one.